speak the charm of make charm of make charm There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast. Exploring esotericism, tarot, magic, and the occult. I am Reverend Eric. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Eric Arneson, and I am here with Claire Burgess, who uses the they-them pronouns. They're a queer, non-binary tarot reader, teacher, writer, and illustrator. They're the host of the Word Witch podcast and the creator of the Fifth Spirit Tarot Deck, both of which re-explore and reimagine tarot through a queer and intersectional lens. They teach tarot at Portland Community College and soon online. Welcome, Claire. Thanks, Eric. I'm so happy to be here. I am too. This is a sort of sequel uh, that has that's a li- that's long overdue. Um, I was on your podcast uh, a little while ago. It was a blast of an episode, and now we are it was so yeah. <laughs> but now we're stuck recording remotely because we are socially distanced. <laughs> but indeed, but we're together in spirit yep yes <laughs> and you know in electrons in internet traffic we're definitely <laughs> yes. uh, uh so let's uh, bef- yeah okay now before we get into uh a discussion i'd like to go over a couple different um sort of definitions of things so that we don't leave the listeners behind uh and i think one of the topics i imagine everybody understands what 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 queer is now because that term's been around a long time and it's been used for a long time but i do know that like uh intersectional is sort of a subject that uh at least a year or two ago was causing a lot of confusion and i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit by what you mean when you talk about uh uh, intersectional lens for tarot absolutely so intersectionality in um in general is sorry i'm like trying to pull up my um, own notes on this because I can't remember the name of the woman who um, coined the term right now. Um, so intersectionality is basically a framework that understands that all of these different sort of um, systems of oppression, whether those be um, patriarchy, capitalism, colonialism, uh, racism, sexism, like all of these systems are like they don't exist in a vacuum and they all overlap and like um, get tangled up together and reinforce each other and so when you take an intersectional approach to something um, it uh, enables us to do things like for example intersectional feminism is a big um, has been a big sort of uh, movement I guess you would say in the last several years and it really is that we can fight for feminism without also acknowledging racism. Um, so much of feminism can be very much about like uh, equality for white women. And then what white women seem to be equal, like feminism's done. Kind of like with gay marriage, what gay marriage was legalized. Um, a lot of people were like, there we go, the battle's won, we're all equal. And then like all of the trans people and all of the non-binary people were like, um, what about us? <laughs> like, hello, I think we're forgetting, forgetting some people here. Uh, so intersectionality um, is a, I guess, way of um, making sure that we're being more, like we're being inclusive of all the different um, groups of people who are being affected by all of these systems of oppression, and okay. so we can really sort of like holistically um, uh, fight those things. So it's almost a and way. There, it was oh, it was created by the way. Uh, Want to just state who um, originally coined the theory of intersectionality, and it was Kimberly Crenshaw. Kimberly Back Crenshaw. in 1989, she's a woman of color. Um, really important to credit are uh, people of color. So, Kimberly Crenshaw. 
So then, in a way, intersectionality in the sense is is sort of like uh, not losing sight of others while working towards some sort of um, uh, issues of equality that make sense to you or that maybe affect you or that you're really inspired by. You can't necessarily forget others. Correct, correct. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's um, we can use our privilege. So, for instance, I'm a white person. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also queer, I'm non-binary, I identify as gay, but that doesn't change the fact that I benefit from huge amounts of white privilege all the time. Right. I also have educational pr- privilege. I have cis het- passing privilege um, because I'm married to a trans man who you know, p- passes easily. Um, and so by not forgetting all of our layers of privilege, um, we can then like help bring awareness Mm-hmm. to all of the like all of the ways the insidious ways that um, uh, these oppressive hierarchical forces which might be another term to define mm-hmm. um, affect people uh, throughout the world who don't share the same privileges as us right even though we feel like we maybe have um, solved feminism or whatever like people of color women of color, don't agree with that. <laughs> it's <Right>. not not <laughs> true, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so then, as it applies to tarot, uh, what what have been sort of like the big issues that have affected tarot in the past, or that have sort of kept tarot from being intersectional or being inclusive? Mm-hmm. Well, tarot has been um, very white it for a been very long time. Extremely white. <laughs> Extremely right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, and I mean, forever. part of yes, and I, I was going to say part of that is because it is um, tarot was created in Europe. Uh, that's where we saw the very first tarot deck uh, come come to be in Italy um, in fourteen forty or fourteen sixty thereabouts. Um, but it is a tool that. Um, is accessible to everyone. It's also a tool that evolved from decks of playing cards that came from the Islamic world. Um, and, like, I think one of the most important things with any sort of spiritual modality, healing modality, or even if you if you don't take, like, a, a magical approach to it, even just, like, a, a introspective tool or a self-knowledge tool, um, it's really important for those things to be representative. It's important for people to be able to see themselves reflected um, right. in their tools, you know? Yeah. It's... And so now... Here, go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was going to say, well, especially with tarot, since a big part of it is being able to look at the cards and, and identify with what's going on in the cards. If you If you can't see yourself there, yeah. if there's nothing there to to reflect who you are or to even get like a glimmer of a reflection, it just creates a barrier between you and the tarot deck. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so it makes it so that it's not accessible to people, but it, and it also at the same time can reinforce the like normalized status quo. So Mm -hmm. when we pick up a tarot deck and we see like on, on the lovers and on the two of cups, and on the Ten of Cups, we see a uh, what appears to be a cisgendered heterosexual couple. Um, right. We see what appears to be a nuclear family of like a, a male and female parent in the Ten of Cups. Right. So all of all of those things as well reinforce like this is what love looks like. This is what happiness looks like. Um, which which can not only like shut people out who that's not what their happiness looks like it can also make people who um don't like who aren't um cisgendered so anybody on the trans spectrum anybody who is not heterosexual uh it can make them feel like they're doing something wrong you know it's just like if you think about tv shows and like eric you and i grew up in a time when we didn't see um, like gay couples on TV. There. Oh no! In fact, we just saw no homophobia on TV. on TV. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. It was, uh, exactly. it's hilarious to go back and watch and to see, um, uh, men being threatened by being called gay, you know, oh, like, yeah. I feel like that's not even a thing now. I feel like the most macho men nowadays are like the manliest of men. They just sort of, they're like, they don't care. They're, they just shrug it off. They're like, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I, and that, I, it's a changing time uh, and more accepting time, right? And and seeing like what we saw on TV growing up made it so that so many of us um, didn't like embrace our sexualities or our gender identities um, for a very long time, like until adulthood, because we were taught that it was wrong, mm-hmm. you know. And so these, this, all of this exists uh, throughout. Um, the like throughout media, throughout so many of our like uh, storytelling mediums, um, healing modalities, tarot is just one of the many, many things where this is changing, right? But right. Um, I, I really wholeheartedly think that like there's no there's no excuse for a tarot deck to only have like white people in it at this point, unless you're doing like the like Scandinavian tarot deck or something. I don't know. But like, there's like no, there's no reason for something that's being produced um, for all people to only show like such a narrow, narrow um, range of people in it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I like that a lot. And um, I mean, and another big problem, especially in sort of like the face cards and a lot of the major arcana cards is sort of like the really strong gendering of different cards, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the one that always comes to mind for me is the, is the Empress because, um, you know, the meaning of the Empress card, like that sort of nurturing, um, protective sort of characteristic that it carries. Uh, it always has felt weird to me that it's so heavily associated with, you know, females with with women with or or, or a female role, and um, and it makes it tough as a reader to sort of explain this to another person. You know, when you pull like a a masculine card and you're explaining that you know, you know, you sitting across from me are a woman, but this card is totally you. It, they're like, but it's it's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, um, yeah, precisely. And so you you um, you addressed this. So I've mostly just seen your court cards which are amazing um okay let's before we now i want to <laughs> switch tracks I, because i want to talk a little bit about how you created the tarot deck um before we get into and i'm talking about sort of like the arts the art side of it before we get into some of the ways that you address these issues um in your deck because um i love your story of you you tell the story. I'm going to let you tell the story. How did you get started <laughs> making this tarot deck? <laughs> oh, so thank you, Eric. Um, <laughs> um, I can I can also just go on forever and ever about these like theoretical ideas. So yeah, bringing it bringing it back down to, to right. the art. Um, so we, we got to hit every plane I of existence here. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so easy for me to just go off into the clouds. It's that double air. Um, but so the uh, the deck, um, I I always kind of wanted to create a tarot deck, but I didn't think that I could. Like I just didn't think it was a possibility for me because I didn't um, consider myself an artist. And one day, um, once upon a time, uh, one dark and stormy night. No. Um, one day in Wait, it, February who, of last year. Oh, so it was dark and stormy. I mean, you were in Oregon. <laughs> it was it was kind of pale gray and grizzly, probably. <laughs> probably. Um, right. But it was the day of the new moon in Aquarius in um, early February 2019. And I had had this like feeling for months before that that something big Thing was like brewing but I didn't know what it was yet um, and on the new moon uh, Aquarius new moon which by the way my son is an Aquarius um, I did a ritual and um, sort of just spoke to my guides and like, at, like 
that I'm ready. Like, talk to me. Like, what's up? Um, and then that night, um, they didn't come down and say, here, you're creating a deck. It wasn't quite like that. But they uh, that night, I was just sitting around, and I picked up my iPad uh, and opened a drawing app on it. And this is very uncharacteristic behavior uh, for me. Like, I don't just sit around and doodle. I hadn't actually uh, opened this app on my iPad for years. Um and I just started like doodling with my finger and was doing that for a while and then looked at it and realized like, holy shit, that's an ace of cups. Like I just drew an ace of cups. Um, and then I was like, in my mind, I was like, am I, is that the thing? Is that, am I making a deck? And, and now you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm totally unprepared that. Um, and then that night I like, um, and woke up at like 4 a.m. and just started like writing down all these uh, symbols in my uh, journal and was like, all right, I'm making a tarot deck. And so I just started to do it. And I didn't think that I had the, you know, quote, artistic skill. And it turns out like that doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, must have. Anybody. Did you, anybody can make a deck yeah. regardless of skill. <laughs> In a, in a way, this is sort of a terrifying story to me since I I am a doodler and I doodle a lot and sometimes I will draw um, uh, sort of like tarot-related jokes or tarot cards that are sort of like joke cards. Uh, <laughs> and um, and when you told the story, I, I got... The first time I heard the story, I sort of had this like fear inside me. I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. Am I going to end up making a tarot deck? <laughs> I'm going to make one of these horrible... <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me the of the world uh, needs your humor hero deck, Eric. Oh God. The world needs this deck. <laughs> it reminds me of that uh conversation we had in um Coleman's living room where we were all just sort of like riffing on various tarot deck design ideas and oh my gosh. Like any topic the cheese, we, the cheese tarot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still think that, that that idea has a lot of potential. I feel like there's got to be there's a lot of research involved in that. Like you really got to get out there and try a bunch of different cheeses. So, uh, well, does, why why wouldn't you want to do that? First of all, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> life goals. I'm <laughs> just have to have to eat a bunch of cheese. It's it's for my art, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can get an artist in residency thing at the cheese bar up in uh, Northeast Portland. Oh my gosh! <gasps> the, you got to try it. Okay, you, you is, won't know until you try. Eric. As, as soon as the <laughs> pandemic has run its course, this is my next project. <laughs> uh, Something to live for. I know. So, um, so y- you were talking about how like you didn't feel like you were an artist, and you just sort of started doodling and had an ace of cups, but you know, a lot of your cards have people in them and people are really hard mm-hmm. to draw. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. did you, uh, like, so how did you get to the point where you could actually draw people so well? Did you take some online courses? Did you read tutorials? Mm-hmm. Did you, like, dive into a comic book store and just, like, take home a bunch of comics and start tracing them? Like, what was your process? <laughs> um, I, at first, I didn't think that there would be any humans in the deck. And so at first I was just, uh, like most of the minor arcana don't have, like the, the pip cards don't have any humans in them except for the hands and the aces. And hands are also really hard to, to draw. Hands but, are super um, hard to draw. Yeah, but now they're one of my favorite things to draw. Like I am so into drawing hands now. But anyway, um, I realized that I needed to draw humans when I was approaching the major arcana. Um, and I actually, I, the way that I started drawing humans was another little sort of synchronous, synchronicity thing. Um, my friend Jordan, who is sincerely the tarot on Instagram, had put out a call for um, uh, illustrations of masculine people with breath. Um, mm. and I was like, I'll, yeah, I, I, I want to do that. Like, I want to answer that call. And so I drew, um, uh, I drew an image of a, a masculine person with breasts 
and they were in a field and they had this long white beard and and it was like an early version of my emperor card um and it my the emperor card as it is now is like wholly different from that it, it was re I re-illustrated it to fit with like sort of the look of the rest of the deck but that was like where it first like stepped into my life and like that was the direct inspiration for the fact that my emperor has breath um hmm. and without that i don't know if i would have started to draw people and in drawing that person for jordan i was like Oh, this isn't so. This isn't so bad. I I can I can do this. Like look at this. I can do this. Um, and yeah, it was really it was really remarkable. And my skill with drawing humans has uh, definitely increased over the course of this. Mm-hmm. There have been cards that I've had to go back and re-illustrate because um, they just didn't like match up with uh, the sort of like evolved skill or aesthetic of the deck but I didn't actually take any classes and I didn't um, read any tutorials I just I I would um, google image search for basically like models of the positions like the poses Mm -hmm. um, that I wanted the people to be in and just draw from that Um, I, I, I guess I've always been pretty good at I've had a, always had a pretty good eye and I've been good at learning things quickly and teaching myself things. Um, I'm self-taught in pretty much everything I do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's that story. <laughs> huh. How many, um, so you're talking like your minor iconic card cards, um, not very many of them have people in them or a lot of them don't. Um, mm-hmm. How many did you? How many do you feel like you had to go back and redraw afterwards? Because I mean, I guess you know, part um, of art—it's not just the skill to draw; it's also kind of like layout and you know that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. I I had to go back and redo the entire cup suit. That mm. was the first suit that I drew, um, and and uh, that was I drew the ace or ten cards well before I did the court cards. So I, I had to redo those 10 cup cards um, because I got a lot better at drawing and also because I started using more color in the cards. So that was really the main thing is because at first it, there was very little color. It was pretty monochrome. And as I went along, there just started being more and more color, um, which, and now it's, it's barely full color, um, which is surprising for me because I'm a pretty... I'm a pretty monochrome person. Like I like my blacks and grays and my my neutral tones, but um, that's just what that's the direction the deck wanted to go in. So I had to redo all ten of those cards. I redid a few of the uh, sword cards as well. Uh, some cards I've redone like as many as like five or six times um, because I just I didn't feel like they were quite right. And other cards I've done in like five hours and I was like that's perfect it's done <laughs> that's so that's, it's been uh, a really interesting process <laughs> yeah it's it's an inspiring process it's it's kind of neat to hear it's sort of um you know the fact that you kind of like taught yourself how to draw while you're doing it and uh kept yourself to a schedule and did all this stuff like it uh it really it really does kind of mean that like anybody who has the gumption who really puts their mind to it can make a tarot deck with people in it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which absolutely which also kind of you know explains a lot of the tarot decks that are out there now that i think about it (laughs) (laughs) but i love that i think that's beautiful and i think that every every new like every new person who's creating a deck um like whether or not it's like you know some wildly successful picked up by Llewellyn or something deck, like every single independently created deck adds something to mm-hmm. the sort of like pantheon of tarot interpretation. One of the things that I love about looking through different decks is how each like each different interpretation, like visual interpretation of a card like opens up a different sort of portal into the meaning of that card. Um, oh, yeah. As long as, well, even even sometimes when they're, you know, Smith, Wider, Rider, Waite clones, they can still do that too. But especially if they're um, 
departing from that in any way. Yeah. Well, that I think uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit because um, your deck was or so your your first tarot deck um, was it a, a Smith weight? Yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a Rider weight, but yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much. Yeah, I, I think we call it Smith weight now, don't we? Or weight Smith? I don't know what. Yeah. When when when, when we did our episode on your podcast, we like uh, unspokenly arrived on some name for that deck, and we just used it throughout. And I, I remember just sort of like halfway through being like, "I like this. I like I like what I like how we're describing this deck. It's great." Did we call it Rider Weight Smith the whole time? I don't remember. Um. I tend to call it the Smith Weight deck. That's okay. just what I usually say. But other people call it, say Smith Rider Weight or. Um, so then your first deck was a Rider Weight Smith, and so um, I think for a lot of tarot um, people, their first deck is kind of like the one that really you know imprints them. Mm-hmm. So when you created your deck, let like so the structure of it, it's got kind of a typical you know, four suits, uh, mm-hmm. four court cards, 22 majors. Um, do you, do you use, uh, strength is number eight? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Strength is eight, justice is 11. Okay. Yep. All right. So, uh, all right. That, that makes, that makes it easy for me to picture the whole thing in my head. Kind of, uh, let's talk <laughs> about sort of, I, I want to, let's get into how you included some of this, um, uh, some of the, the queer stuff and the intersectionality in there. Um, I think in particular, so you talked about the, you talked about the emperor being sort of, it sounds like he's sort of like a, a gray bearded guy with breasts, right? The first version was, uh, the, the version that's in the deck, uh, doesn't have a gray beard, but is a, a masculine appearing person with Mm -hmm. a, uh, actually a dark beard and a man bun and breasts. (laughs) (laughs) I love a man bun. I'm sorry. I just hey, you know, I uh, I'm sure if I could grow hair up there, I'd probably have a man bun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I mean, in particular, so like in the in the first uh, chunk of the major arcana, you have some like really strongly uh, gendered cards. You have the the high priestess and the hierophant, and then the empress and the emperor. And in ways, they're sort of paired off against each other uh, in kind of a little story that really. Uh, plays out in both the lovers and the chariot card and i'm wondering how you handled in particular um those pairs like did you did you rename them are they still high priestess and hierophant or did you uh change their yeah. names or, or how did you do that so i kept all of the um traditional names for the card so they are still called the empress the emperor um the high priestess etc i made that decision because I'm also a tarot teacher, and um, I, it can be really confusing for newcomers to tarot to be dealing with like different renamed cards. Mm-hmm. And I wanted I wanted it to be something that um, could be used in it by used easily by anybody at any level of experience. Okay. But I also made that choice because um, there's so many decks out there that are already doing such great work with renaming. But I wanted to challenge the like gender binary and sort of uh, gender roles in a, like from a different direction mm-hmm. by, for instance, putting somebody with a big, you know, bare boob on the emperor card, putting um, a uh, like a, a female presenting librarian on the hierophant, putting uh, somebody with like a flat male chest on the empress. Huh. Um, and doing the same in, in many of the court cards. And I haven't, like, switched the gender expressions or, or appearances um, for every single card because I think the point the point that I want to, I guess, make through that or that I want to encourage people to arrive at is that it doesn't fucking matter what body parts you have. Right. <laughs> like, we all have all of these archetypes in us. And I think part of the problem, too, is that we... It, the problem isn't just gendered language. The problem is that when we hear the gender of a language, we assume things like, oh, empress, that means female, that means soft and nurturing and, and caring and selfless. And mm-hmm. 
you know, we hear a masculine sounding word. And so we assume like wrong, logical, unemotional, you know, and so all of these things just reinforce our own uh, perception of what is right and what is possible for whatever gender we are and whatever genders we're interacting with out, out in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, go ahead. <laughs> I, well, I was just sort of thinking about, you know, um, like the major arcana, you can kind of look at it in two different ways. You can look at it as sort of like a fool's journey, or you can look at it, uh, you know, when you're doing a reading and you have like individual meanings for the cards. And, uh, I was just sort of thinking about how, you know, the, the first, uh, septenary septad i don't know like the first seven cards of the <laughs> fool's journey like leading up to um the chariot have this kind of thing to them where you're really like you know figuring shit out you know you're mm-hmm. you come in confused as the fool you think you know what you're doing and then you just sort of like bounce back and forth between these opposites and i could see how you know keeping the names of the cards Oh, actually, I I love the idea of like keeping the names of the cards, but having a little bit of, you know, mixing it up in the imagery. Like it's, fuckery. Yeah, because <laughs> it really kind of it kind of breaks you free of the of the sort of like societal gender roles that that are kind of shoved in there. Will still, yeah. but but it makes you think about like what the cards are actually talking about. So like the that's hy- what I'm saying. Well, I like that. I I totally I I was about to disagree with you and then in in explaining myself to you, I I I, I agree with you now. Um but I I mean like, you know, you think about like the high priestess in particular, which is like a spook which is sort of a spooky mysterious card and um and the fact that like in the in the Rider Waite Smith deck, there's this like you know, haughty female high pris- that's haughty. Mm-hmm. You know, not she's like she's sort of like uh, in control. H O T T Y. No, no, H A U G H T Y. Those shouldn't sound the same. <laughs> but um you know, she's sort of like this this like bossy woman, right? Mm-hmm. And you can imagine for for weight, he probably I mean he must he i'm sure he he had his own sort of like sexist edwardian uh principles about like what you know you know about a woman's role and like uh so i i I love that sort of idea i honestly i don't know what your high priestess card looks like but i can imagine that having Mm -hmm. the having the gender be ambiguous or opposite or different while the name of the card remains the same will kind of you know, I'm looking forward to seeing it because it's gonna it's gonna open up a new avenue of interpretation and exploration there. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you you um you get it. And I think that I think that that's like part of that's the main purpose of the tarot. Well, maybe not main purpose, but one of the main purposes, in my opinion, is to sort of guide us down this path, which is the fool's journey, which is the major arcana, into understanding that. Um, all like there is no binary mm-hmm. um in the first line of seven the first step pad which i like that um we do it is all like fundamental roles it's different like ways to be like you can be the empress or you can be the emperor but can you be both mm-hmm. um and as we go along in the course of the major arcana and i know you know this eric because we kind of talked about this when you were on uh, my podcast but it it sort of guides us to this place, I think, where we eventually end up with cards like Temperance and cards like the world where we're no longer in a binary place. It's no longer like black or white, um, uh, yeah. inner or outer. It's, it's a synthesis. It's being combined. It's unity, right? And so mm-hmm. I think the whole thing is a journey from binaries to non-binary <laughs> yeah it's almost like um it's sort of a, a a journey from you know because because there are a lot of um kind of extremes represented in the in the first chunk of the major arcana where you're you're bouncing back and forth between different extremes of things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um i think you know especially if you look at the at the fool's journey as like a an initiatory process there's a thing that has to happen where we have this binary way of looking at the world that kind of gets hammered into us by our culture. Mm-hmm. And um, and part of that 
really involves, you know, recognizing the non-binary nature of ourselves and our soul and our approach to stuff. How, you know, like nobody is universally good or universally bad. Nobody is universally anything, really. And having to kind of like come to terms with that. Absolutely. Yeah. But like, I guess I'm sort of thinking, and this is going to take some experimentation from like brand new tarot people who are out there and like encountering your deck first i suppose but you know you know when we encountered tarot uh the the binaries that we were faced with uh are going to be different than the people who encounter your tarot for the first time they're going to be they're going to be looking at different binaries but maybe it will be easier for them to identify with Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. different way yeah and i i hope also to like sort of from the outset start seeing that um, some of the, the binaries that we are taught by our, our society and culture aren't absolute. Mm-hmm. You know, they aren't true. And now that's not to say that some people don't exist on the gender binary. There's people who identify as male and people that identify as female, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's also to say, like I also want to say that gender isn't bad. Um, like my my, like I'm a non-binary person, so in one way I don't really get gender. <laughs> I'm like, what is this thing? I don't understand. But um, also, like, it's I don't want to I don't want to come off as saying like erase all gender, like all gender bad, but only to say that I think labeling, like assigning roles to different genders, is can be confining. Uh, it is a root of a lot of oppression, and I think that once we if we can understand that gender isn't absolute then Mm -hmm. that frees all of us up in our our uh, like expression in our uh roles and even in our like hopes and dreams you know how much are those things being confined by what gender we are oh Um, sure yeah (laughs) no i mean i i totally believe that you know um we face it all the time you know uh Oh, I mean, we don't even have to get into it. Anybody can, you know, we, we, we anybody who's on the internet hears, hears about this stuff, con- hears about this stuff a lot, but like, yeah, you know, gender roles are so built into how we're sort of like raised to think about ourselves and other people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really mm-hmm. difficult to not only escape, but, you know, and I, and I suspect that, you know, my experience is different as a, you know, as a male, like what, what I've been taught to think about not only myself, but other people is going to be way different than, than, you know, oops, I just hit my microphone stand, uh, than, than other people, you know, I mean, it's, uh, but, uh, you know, like the, I guess it it just sort of makes me think of stuff like stay at home dads or like the idea Uh that like, uh, when a, when a dad takes his kids, sometimes they call it like babysitting or something instead of just fathering or parenting. Uh Um, Uh But it, and it, which I think you know again probably goes back. I'm I'm hammering on the the empress and the high priestess a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm sure my psychologist friends are listening to this and being like, "Yep, we gotta we gotta talk to her." <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, I had a really hard time with those two cards as well. Like I, I had a hard time with the emperor because of the patriarchy and the hierophant because I was raised in the Christian church and that mm-hmm. was the source of a lot of my trauma <laughs> but yeah but I first and foremost actually had the hardest time with the empress uh, more than any other card because in that card I saw all of the roles that I was taught to be like mm-hmm. being raised as a girl in the American South I was taught to be selfless to be soft to be you know yada 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 all the, the grab bags of the stereotypes for right. what like a woman should be and so I had a really hard time identifying with the Empress because that's all I could see, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it just shut me out of the real sort of like magic and medicine of that card, which is like, it, which isn't about um, only speaking, only speaking when being spoken to or whatever the thing that that saying is. Um, Wait, does somebody say that about the Empress card? No, oh, no, no, okay. those are, those are, uh, that's, um, Oh. Some of the things that I was taught about being a female uh, when I was growing up, um, and so with the with the empress, I was like projecting some of that stuff 
mm-hmm. onto that card. You see what I mean? And right. like same thing with the emperor, like projecting um, like toxic masculinity onto the emperor because that's the like that's the masculinity that I've known for most of my life. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very yeah. like alpha male machismo um, uh, dominate sort of thing, and that's not really what those cards are about at all. It's not what they have to be about. I would say that's more like emperor reversed, you know, yeah. than emperor <laughs> upright. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's an interesting take on it. I guess I was thinking, you know, um, about like the Empress card. One of the things that I think helped me break through the sort of like gender stuff associated with that card in particular is uh, is Freemasonry. Oddly enough, like watching yeah. watching so many men be nurturing to each other and to each other's families and being so like you know just this constant sort of need to kind of like reach out and take care of each other it it's uh it's it's you know extremely masculine nurturing but it's uh it totally you know i i see that when i look at the empress card i'm sort of like oh this is something that you know i've been taught is okay now it's okay for me to like love another person and take care of them and it's not um i mean i guess emasculating is a horrible word it's not uh it's not defining of my gender to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that a better it's not word? doing something wrong. It's, it doesn't make you yeah. weak. Do we have an adjective for that in English or should we invent one? <laughs> uh, an adjective for like a, a synonym for emasculating or. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, it shouldn't be the word emasculating, but it should be more like the recognition that, um, that certain traits aren't restricted to gender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that even the word emasculating in and of itself shows the problem. And it, the yeah. problem is that being like offering nurture and being loving towards another man uh-huh. or another human being isn't masculine. Right. Yeah. Emasculating. That's the, that's the problem. <laughs> it's almost, yeah. So emasculating itself is just a bullshit word. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm cool <laughs> with that. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's funny when you, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally like an armchair amateur historian and, uh, but I love doing like deep dives into weird topics and it's just, it's so weird seeing how, um, how like, calcified gender roles have become in like the last mm-hmm. 150 200 years and how before that you know mm. like you know men didn't really have trouble saying that they loved each other men didn't have trouble experiencing or showing emotion i mean you can see it in mm. in in art that men produced you know it was always yeah. it had a lot of feelings in it <laughs> yeah um, and like that the ascots and the like red heels. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking of all the great fashion that used to be. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, the, the the you know men used to have great makeup and wigs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, I'm starting to feel sorry for for the limited fashion choices available to to men in the Western world in year 2000. Yeah, it sucks. I really think that um, men should feel free to sort of like branch out and wear whatever the, whatever the hell they want. You you can pave the way, Eric. Uh, can, I I used to I used to difference. wear a lot of ascots and stuff, but then I um my budget got limited, so oh. I still do from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I do enjoy painting my fingernails, so you know they're currently purple and sparkly. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. Bring back fingernails and and uh I've always loved eyeliner on men. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm oh, not sorry. yeah. My my brother was in a was in a uh, a rock band when he was younger where they all wore uh, eyeliner. Mhm. And I have to say I did make fun of him a little bit. We called it guy liner. <laughs> and I'm sorry Nick if you're listening. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to um <laughs> to do that. I think you should totally just start wearing eyeliner again as much as you want to. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So hold on. Now let's see. We've talked a little bit. We talked about a lot of stuff that went into the creation of your deck, and I'm, I'm really, 
I'm really glad that you shared all this stuff. Uh, I want to, let's go all the way down to the grossest of um, planes, the the earthly plane where you've been working on publishing it. And I know this is a painful topic because of, because you had to delay your publishing, um, but you're going to do a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I think that that is, uh, that's still the plan. Yeah, I was going to um, launch the Kickstarter on March 20th, um, otherwise known as when the world stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Pan- and, the pandemic got to Kickstarter before you did. <laughs> well, you know, there were still projects launching and there were still projects being successfully funded and there still are now. Uh, but for me, I just, I, for me, it didn't feel, it didn't, it didn't feel right for me to go ahead and launch it during, uh, this catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because I just didn't have the, like, mental and emotional space to be, like, doing the ad blasting to get people to fund it while all this is happening. Like, oh, yeah. That would have just, I, I hate, advertising anyway like I hate self-promotion and so that, that would have just been especially shitty um, but uh, and there were other reasons why I decided not to do it too like my partner and I losing most of our income and then not knowing like well what if we have unknown costs which are quite uh, possible at this time and we wouldn't be able to cover that etc cetera, etc cetera. so oh yeah that decided all makes sense it, yeah decided to pause it for now um but I am going to uh, be launching it on, and the plan is still Kickstarter unless something changes because mm-hmm. there's so many uncertain things. Um, and um, yeah, and, and at that point, like everything will be ready to go. I might still be working on the guidebook, uh, which I was planning to write uh, during the Kickstarter. But I'm like going ahead and starting to work on that now. So it's possible that actually every single thing will be done and ready to go by the time um, I would get funding from that. And um, it, there's a possibility that I might launch it in April or May. Um, the cards are being featured in uh, Lindsay Mack, who is a, a really wonderful tarot teacher who I've learned from, um, has a class every year. Um, tarot for the Wild Soul, which is her, I think it's eight weeks uh, tarot course. Um, and she's using Fifth Spirit in the class as one of the decks that uh, she's talking about. And oh, so that's, that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, it's huge. It's like a dream come true. I can't fucking believe it. It's <laughs> yeah, delightful. Do you know, um, uh, when does the when does that class start? The class, uh, the class starts in May um, and the uh, enrollment for it starts, I believe, April 9th. Um, and if you sign up for her class, actually, I wasn't intending to do this, but you can use the code Fifth Spirit, um, and then I'll be sending people a little like Fifth Spirit bonus afterwards to use that code to, as a coupon code to sign up for the class. Um, I'm thinking like a like an altar cloth or a, a um, like Fifth Spirit bandana or something limited edition. So, oh. yeah, I want some uh, <laughs> I want some Fifth Spirit overalls. Oh my gosh! You know what? <laughs> well, I saw some I of your. Need to make, I need to make. I need to make friends with a clothing designer. If you're a clothing designer and want to make like some Fifth Spirit print uh, or overalls or whatever, let's get in touch. <laughs> I know that there are clothing people who listen to this podcast. Fuck yeah! <laughs> so maybe it'll happen. Um, you know, I, I I enjoy sewing, but uh, I don't know that I would be. I, I wouldn't consider myself any sort of designer of any sort, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I noticed some of your court card uh, uh, people were wearing overalls, and I, I loved it. I was like, oh, that's great. Oh, thank you so much. I <laughs> love a good pair of overalls. I can love it. Yeah. Yeah. So you have um, images of a bunch of your cards on your website and on your Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, yeah. And I don't know if people can still see them, but when you were working on your last stretch of court cards... Uh, you did these great sort of like um, time lapse animations of you drawing them, yeah, which were delightful to watch. It was awesome seeing it. Um, 
So, uh, are, are any of those still up? Do you have them saved? You know, somewhere? they they are they they haven't been, but I can actually I put all of those in my stories on Instagram, and uh-huh. I can uh, I can actually put them into a highlight so people uh, can see them. I would um, like thanks, to Eric. watch those some of them. I would like to watch <laughs> some of them again. <laughs> cool, I'll do that. I'll right. do that. That's easy. Awesome. <laughs> uh, can you maybe can you tell people where to find you on the internet, and also make sure that you plug your your email list, since I'm sure that's probably like the best way mm-hmm. to know when your Kickstarter kicks. Yeah. Off. Thanks. Yes. My um my my website is thewordwitchtarot.com. Uh, the site for the deck where you can go see, um, I think I have pretty much all of the card images for the deck uh, up on it, is fifthspirithero.com and that is fifth, like, spelled out F-I-F-T-H um, on fifthspirithero.com or on my uh, the Word Witch Tarot website, you can sign up for my email list, which is where I'll be notifying people um, when I uh, reset the date for the Kickstarter um, you can also find me on Instagram at the.word.witch. Um, that's where you can see those cool animations Eric was talking about. And um, where else? I also have a podcast. It's called The Word Witch. And you can find that on pretty much all the, the podcast places, Spotify, iTunes, etc. And I think that that's it. Well, I mean, it's all good stuff. Uh, I'm so glad that... Um, that not only that we met through like the Portland tarot community, but also that you that that we've had so so much fun working on these podcast stuff together. This has been this has been a blast. Thank you so Me much. Too. Thank you, Eric. Uh, I'm sure we will do more podcast episodes together in the future as we, um, you know, sit in our individual <laughs> quarantines with nothing to do but brainstorm. So. Uh, <laughs> Thanks and for, even after that, yeah. even when we can go outside again, still yeah. want more more Eric podcast episodes. Oh, I mean, we we only live like a mile away from each other, so it's ridiculous that we have to do this over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, hopefully it, it will happen. It will happen. So um, will. all right. Well, thanks again, Claire, and uh, I'll hopefully see you soon. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancy.